Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says, And Jesus said unto him that you should love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And we come confessing, Father God, that we love you, but we recognize it's impossible to love you in that way without you empowering us to do so. So we pray, Father God, that you would help those who have been born again to love you with everything that we have. We pray, Father God, that your word, Lord, would impact our hearts in such a way that we will leave this place loving you more today than we did on yesterday. Consume us with you, Father. Give us a picture of Jesus, Father God, that will compel our hearts, Lord, to trust him, to rest in his grace, and to live on mission. We love you, Father. We worship you, Father. We adore you, King. We exalt you. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Bless your name. Also, majestic, wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. While you're standing, if you can grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, what sweet worship this morning. Amen. I want to look at the second chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 11 through. 22. I am so thankful for Forest Baptist Church. I'm so thankful for our visitors, those who are here with us this morning. Um, what a joy it is to be able to go to God's Word and to hear from Him. Today we've set aside a, a special Sunday, this Sunday, to talk about racial reconciliation. The title of today's sermon is Racial Reconciliation Moving from Hostility to Harmony. And I've waited six years, we've waited as pastors, six years to really address this issue uh, for a number of reasons. The first reason is we wanted to make sure that we laid a foundation of, of this Christ very clearly uh, before we have such an emotional talk and topic that we're going to deal with today after the sermon and with a panel discussion. Uh, but I'm so thankful that the Lord has gotten us to this place to be able to discuss these things. The majestic, wonderful, matchless, marvelous word of God reads, starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he 
might create in himself one new man in place of two, making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you who are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him, you also being, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You may be seated in the awesome, magnificent name of Jesus. In 2006, I had the joy of moving down to Louisville, Kentucky, and attending uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And as I came from Michigan and moved into uh, Louisville, uh, like anyone else, the first thing and first priority was to kind of get my dorm room in order. So I began to unpack my things and, and to decorate my walls. And as I was decorating my walls, I pulled out a picture that had been on my wall at Michigan State University. And it was a picture of Malcolm X. And I went and I hung this picture of Malcolm X on my wall. Now, as I was hanging it on my wall, I was hanging other pictures of other uh, African Americans who uh, readings and works had in some way uh, uh, impressed me or, or helped me to, to grow. So as I was hanging that picture on the wall, I I wasn't hanging it on the wall thinking about necessarily the philosophies that Malcolm X uh, taught. To me, when I hung that picture on the wall, it represented his courage and an intelligent, critical thinker. But I'm on a Southern Baptist camp hanging a picture in a seminary of Malcolm X. 2006, pray for me. There was another hallmate of mine's who I grew to love dearly and became close to. But he, it was his first year in seminary as well, and he was decorating his wall. And he took a flag, the Confederate flag, and and hung it up on his wall. And I'll never forget looking across the hallway and seeing a Confederate flag. And after getting to know him, I don't believe that he put that flag up thinking the same thing that I was thinking as I looked at that flag. Just as I, when I put up Malcolm X on my wall, was thinking one way, after getting to know him, I don't think he was equating the Confederate flag with what I had come to know or to feel about it. But after getting to know him and spending time with him and seeing other seminary students come in my wall and talk to me and kind of just get stuck looking at Malcolm X on my wall, 
I eventually kind of took the picture down. And I noticed that he took that flag down. When we talk about race, we talk about probably one of the most emotional subjects to discuss. We all come at it from different angles, different experiences. And we all come at it in a way that is... Uh, that, that really has caused us to be shaped a, a very specific way. But it's a discussion we can't avoid. It's a discussion that we have to talk about. In fact, it's almost impossible to think about this world without the discussion of race because we know that in the name of race, some horrific things have been done. When we stop and we think about what happened in, in Germany and with Hitler and his regime and and the killing and persecution of Jews. And we have to stop and we have to think about colonial America and the slavery that took place in medieval Europe and what took place there. We have to stop and we have to think about things like the Ku Klux Klan or even the Black Panther movement. When we talk about race in this country, we talk about racism, when we talk about names and events and, and things that, that really are just pure evil, we, we think about the, what happened in Rwanda and the genocides that took place, all in the name of race, all according to the, the color of one's skin or one's nationality. We connect with those things so passionately that we, we lose norms and values that seem to be common sense and we put in front of them cultural norms and cultural values and we begin to define people by where they were raised and how much money they have and how light or dark their skin is. And this points to the fallenness of man that we can become so passionate about things that in the eyesight of God matter so little. Well, Paul, as he's writing this book, to the church at Ephesus is writing to Gentiles. And early on in the book, from the first chapter to the second, he is just establishing uh, to the Gentiles and reviewing what their position is in Christ and who they are and how they got there. He is focusing on their identity because it is important that we know who we are first and foremost in Jesus. But as we move to chapter 2, Paul is going to, to take them to a place and, and to acknowledge the fact that they are Gentiles and to give them a picture and a reminder of, of who the church is and, and how we've been set aside and why we've been set aside in order that we, Ephesians chapter 2.10, might, might do good works and, and live as his workmanship, as God's workmanship. But Paul wants to address this issue, and in these few verses, he takes us and gives us a picture of racial reconciliation, and he shows us exactly how it happens. He, he shows us how we can move past our differences to a place of peace and harmony. In verses 11 through 12, the apostle Paul tells the Gentiles that he, that he wants them to remember some things. He says, I want you to remember some things. It's, it's similar to what he had just got through from doing in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, when he has the Gentiles 
remembering the fact that they were once dead in their trespasses and sin. Well, now in verses 11 to 13, he wants them to remember that there was once a time where they as Gentiles, a Gentile is a person who was a a non-Jew, where they were separated from God. They were alienated from God. And in order to make this point, he, he, he points out four ways in which they were alienated from God. First, he points out the fact that they were uncircumcised. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant, of being in a covenant relationship with God. He reminds them that there was once a time where they were uncircumcised, which means that they were not in covenant with God. He reminds them that there was once a time that they were separated from Christ, separated from the Messiah, that they were strangers and aliens to Israel, that they had no hope in God. He's reminding them of where they came from in order to take them somewhere else. It's okay to remember where you come from. In fact, I will argue that it is important that we remember where we came from. As an African-American predominant church, it's okay for us to embrace who we are and our past and what we've been through. But we ought to do it in a way, I think Paul teaches, in a way that makes us, number one, grateful to God and better as Christians. Not in a way that makes us prideful, or that focuses or makes us, helps us to focus on our, on our ethnicity and put that before Christ. No, Paul tells these Gentiles, he says, I want you to remember that you once were alienated, not in a way that would make them uh, re-experience pain and, and feel racist towards the Jews, but in a way that would make them feel grateful for what God had done for them in their lives. So we need to remember, but we need to remember the right way. Some of us need to remember, and other of us, we need to forget. That's what Paul said to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 3. He says, forgetting the things that's past, pressing towards (laughs) the mark. Because some of us, we remember in a way that's not helpful in a way that makes us prideful, in a way that allows us to put our ethnicity in front of Jesus. And when a subject of race comes up, we become so embittered and so passionate and so angry that we can't help change the atmosphere from hostile to harmonious. But then we see in verses 13 through 18 Paul's main point. We see Paul showing us the key to racial reconciliation. And the key to racial reconciliation is the cross of Christ. See, the cross of Christ cuts through racial hostility. And it empowers us to live together in harmony. The key to racial reconciliation is not conversations that just really lead nowhere and venting about how we feel and 
and what happened to the past. The key to racial reconciliation is the cross of Christ, is Jesus. And as a church, when we enter into conversations about race, we need to be aware that the only way that healing is going to come, the only way that reconciliation is going to come is if Jesus is the center. And if we understand what Jesus did and was doing for us on the cross. Paul is pulling the Gentiles and Jews together and reminding these Gentile Christians that there is no longer Jew or Gentile in Christ, that God has now made a a new person, a new man. And that happens through Christ. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking to Gentiles. He's saying you once were alienated from Israel. You once were outside of God's promises. But through Jesus on the cross, you were brought near to God. That is the most important thing that can be said about a person. Not your social economic status, not where you went to school or what you completed in life, but the fact that you have been brought near. You have been drawn near to God through Jesus on the cross. Jesus was calling people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue to himself. Those whom God had predestined, those whom God had called before the foundation of the world were being drawn back to God. And that's the most important question for you this morning is, are you near to God? Have you kneeled at the foot of the cross to find redemption, reconciliation, and peace? That's what Paul goes on. He wants to stress that those who are uh, Gentiles, that they now have peace, where they once did not have peace, where they once were under the wrath of God. Verse 14 says, now they have peace, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is the only person who can take a Black Panther, a Ku Klux Klan member, redeem them, have them set on mission together. Jesus is the one who gives us peace. He's the one who took a disciple, one who was a zealot, and one who was a tax collector, and who changed them and saved them, and where they would have been at odds against each other, brought them together to live on mission. Only Jesus can bring us that peace. And this peace is twofold. Number one, this peace is vertical. This peace that we have is a peace that allows us to be in right relationship with God. But the peace is also horizontal. This peace now allows us to be in right relationship with each other. And it's all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. Prophet Isaiah talks about the coming Messiah, and he calls him the Prince of Peace. Later on in the book of Isaiah, he says that he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Jesus brings that peace. So when I hear Christians talking about race, and when I see us getting so emotional and so bent out of shape to the point that we don't have peace, 
something triggers and something goes off in me. It says that something is happening devotionally, something is happening vertically in their relationship with God that now allows them to put their ethnicity over their relationship with Jesus. In the midst of these events at Ferguson, in the midst of all this racial tension that's been going on throughout the country, it was really hard to see some of the responses of brothers and sisters in Christ on social media. It was really hard to see some of the just insensitive comments, both ways, black and white, and overly emotional comments that were being made. And the reason we are able to be insensitive and and unloving in our uh, conversation with one another is because we often put our differences in front of our identity in Christ. And when we do that, we lose balance. We lose balance. No. Jesus came to, to bring peace. He came to break down a wall of hostility. It was so refreshing to, right after the kind of Ferguson situation and uh, the New York Eric Garner situation, it was was really refreshing to be able to call up some, some brothers and to go out and have lunch with them whose skin color wasn't the same as mine. One of our pastors, Pastor Jared, It was good to be able to go and to have lunch with him and to be able to talk about these issues in a way that was harmonious, in a way that was peaceful. And as we were talking, there was a number of different times where I stopped him or he stopped me and we were able to say, hey, brother, let's let's next time you talk about this or next time you bring up this issue, it might be best for you to use this phraseology. Because when you say this, it makes me and probably the average African-American feel this way. And then he was able to stop me and say, now, now Jamal, as we're talking about race, I really want to help you as a, as a white brother in Christ to say, to talk about it a little differently in this aspect. Because what you just said just made me feel guilty for sins of my ancestors unnecessarily. And I believe that you can make the point differently by using this phraseology. See, the church, we should be able to talk about race in a way that is different from the world. Because, number one, we understand that we were once lost and alienated from God, but God has brought us near through the cross of Jesus, that we are sinners saved by grace. And as we talk about the sins of others, we don't do it in a way to bash them, but we do it as one sinner in need of grace, talking about another sinner who needs grace. So it changes the way I process things. It changes the way I feel. Because now as I'm talking about it, there's not a hopelessness. There's not a a hopelessness. There's not a, 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 a feeling that makes me want to condemn others. There's a hope there that just says if we can just get these people to the table and give them Jesus, their heart and their perspective could be changed about race and the differences of ethnicity. So he says peace, and not only does he point to peace, but then he points to the fact 
the God, the Jesus on the cross tore down a wall of hostility. There was a wall there, bigger than the Berlin Wall, that was separating Jew and Gentile. There was animosity between the Gentiles and between the Jews for many different reasons. Some historians that I was reading this week made the point to say that the Jew and Gentile relationship in many ways may have been even more hostile than the the black and white relationship that had been in the past here in America. So what does Paul do? Does he try to condemn Gentiles or condemn Jews? No, he points them to what Christ has done for them. Points them to the cross, and he says, on the cross, that dividing wall of hostility was removed. Now, what is the dividing wall of hostility? Some argue and say that dividing wall of hostility would have evoked the picture of the temple to Jews and Gentiles. Because it was in the temple where that was probably most prevalent as Gentiles were only allowed to go so far into the temple. There was a fence there that would separate them from going into the inner courts because they were not Jewish. So no matter how much they became a convert or or proselyte, they, they only could get so close to God because that was for Jews. Some say that on the cross, when Jesus died, that wall of hostility was brought was broken, and now Jews and Gentiles both are equally near to God. And that that could be it, but what I think Paul is talking about here, I think he clears it up in verse 15. He says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two by making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, the dividing wall of hostility was the law. It was the Mosaic law, the law that was given at Sinai. The law that said that the Jews were the people of God. And that in order to be in covenant with God as a Gentile, you had to submit to these Jewish ordinances and these Jewish laws. Now, Paul is saying, in Christ, because of what Christ has done, that no longer matters. One does not have to go through a Jewish law. One does not have to go through these commandments to be made right with God. Now, all one has to do is to repent, to have a change of mind about their sin, to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ by faith through grace, and they shall be saved. There is no division there. Any Gentile can come near to God through faith. The hostility is gone. Get this language that he uses in verse 15. That he might create in himself one new man in place of two. In Christ now, there is just one new man. It's no longer Jew and Gentile, it's one. From many bloodlines, John Piper would say, there has now come one bloodline, Christ's bloodline. This radically changes how we, the church, talk about race because it's not us and them. It's us. It's we. It's our problem. It's a sin problem. With the cross solution.
Russell Moore, who is the president of the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Commission, about a month ago on a conference call said that as he took over the ethics department and in light of all the racial tension that was going on here in the U.S., he and others uh, on the ethics commission of the Southern Baptist Convention began to write about these issues and began to take some, some very gospel-centered stances. And he said that it really shocked him, the type of responses that he got back from brothers and sisters in Christ, those who said they were Christians. He said he began to get really racist emails and racist phone calls of people who proclaim the name of Jesus but who have an ethnic-centric mentality. He said it shocked him because he thought that we had come further than we had. Christians, we have the solution, we have the answer that the world is longing for. And it is our responsibility to show the world what Christ has done through his cross by loving each other and allowing his cross to cut through any racial hostility that we have in our hearts by seeing that we are one in Christ. That yes, I may be considered black or African American, but I am, I should far more be thought of as a Christian. Jesus came to unite us and to make us one. Look at this, look at how he continues in verse 16. He used the term one body. In verse 17, he talks about how Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off, and he preached peace to those who were near. He preached peace to the Jews and peace to the Gentiles when he ministered on earth pre- and post-resurrection. In verse 18, he stresses again this unity that we now should have, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, in one spirit, we have access in one spirit. He is pointing to that there should now be unity in the body of Christ. be unity in the body of Christ. How do you talk about racial issues? Do you tend to do that on the job with co-workers in a way that brings and elicits peace or that continues to cultivate an atmosphere of ungodly anger? and emotion? Do you tend to joke about people of a different race or ethnicity and degrade them and put them down in sly ways as if they are less than? That's a cross issue. That's a, a gospel issue. That's an issue that says you don't realize that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who look like that, who Christ died for, who talk like that. We are part of a huge family, a family that is spread out across the world, a family that is in the Middle East, a family that is in Asia, a family that is in Europe, a family that is broad. 
And our hearts need to be in tune with them and be in tune with the fact that Jesus died for them. So when we look on the news and we see ISIS has killed 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians, we shouldn't just quickly turn the television, but we should stop and we should mourn and we should weep and we should remember Revelation chapter 20, those martyrs who were beheaded. And we should feel that's my brother, that's my sister in Christ. And we should long for the day where Christ returns, where people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue stand around his throne saying, worthy is the Lamb of God who was, who is, and who is to come. Christ came and he was killed. And while he was killed, he was killing hostility. So when we are hostile, we we are undermining the cross. We are undermining the cross. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 12, Paul tells him, he says, do all that you can. I believe it's 12, 14. Do everything that you can to, to make peace with everyone. Yes, I know that there is some pain. I know that there are some horrific experiences that we all have experienced. But as Christians, we allow our feelings to submit to the lordship of Jesus and our actions to be changed. We take our pain to the one who bore our pain and our shame. We take our scars to him knowing that he likewise has scars. We take them to a Jewish Messiah. Close. Verses 19 through 22. We see... But Paul really wants them to understand that the two have been made one, so he uses a couple of different analogies. Number one, he lets them know that they are now Gentiles and Jews. They are fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. They have the same rights in Christ. Same rights in Christ. Then he goes on and he says that you are now a part of the same household. Back then, they probably would have thought of uh, protection and refuge. That you're part of the same household, he tells them. The household of God, which is built on the preaching of the apostles and, and the prophets. Then he goes on, he says, you're also a part of the same building, the same structure, and the structure is growing. And he goes on to reveal what this building or the structure is. He says, it is the holy temple of the Lord. points back to the fact that we are all equally near to God. For the temple is where the Lord, where the Jews would have understood where the Lord was, where his presence was. We're part of the same temple. He wants us to understand that we're one. It's no longer them and us. It's not the black church, the white church, the Asian church. It's one church. 
and we're all in Christ. Like our fingers is in the socket in our hand, or our eye is in our head. We are in Christ, connected as one body on mission to tell a dying world about a living Savior. Close with this story. When I was in college, Michigan State University, I went on a mission trip to Kingston, Jamaica. I actually went with my now wife. And uh, we were a part, I was a, a leader of the black chapter of a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So it was one organization, but we were divided racially. And we tried at one point, I was on a little committee trying to bring these, these, uh, this team together, these uh, groups together as one, and trying to have worship service as one. And it was so complicated. We even tried to have a group worship service once a month, and it just became this big ordeal about Who's going to lead worship? And why do you all sing these two songs? When you sing these songs, we feel this way. We like to sing with a little more. It was just horrible. It was horrible. So part of what we did is we brought the groups together and we went to a mission trip to Jamaica. And when the trip first started, everyone was kind of divided by race. Never forgot when we got off the plane, of course, you just kind of sit next to people you know. The blacks were all together. The whites were all together. But as we began to go through the week and as we were on mission together, those lines changed. And the Holy Spirit came in and started to do just a great work. We got to see many people come to Jesus that week. It was one of the sweetest experiences of my life. But I'll never forget on the last day, it was our day to just hang out and go to the beach. A great friend of mine who discipled me uh, in college and who I'm very indebted to, decided to have a conversation about race. He put us all together and he said, before we go back to our place and our dwelling place, I just want to talk about race. And he began to talk about race. This is a Caucasian brother who I love dearly. But he did it in a way that was hostile and in a way that was not harmonious. In fact, he began to look at our white brothers and sisters in Christ who had come to Kingston, Jamaica, and who were serving alongside us, and he began to challenge them and say, well, why don't you do this back in the U.S.? Why don't you come back to the hood? I mean, he just began to attack them in a very ungodly way. And afterwards, I attempted to confront him and say, brother, we don't, we don't need that. But as we were getting back on the bus to go back to where we were staying, it was really a sad scene. Because once again, the blacks were sitting with the blacks, and the whites were sitting with the whites. And that dividing wall of hostility, so to speak, was back up. People ask me all the time, what's the key to racial reconciliation? I say the key is two things. Number one, the key is the cross, and the church understanding that at the foot of the cross we are all equal, there's no Jew, Gentile, male, female, young, old. We each are sinners in need of a Savior. But the second thing is, is living on mission together. When we come together in spite of our race, in spite of our social economic status, when we allow those walls to be divided and we come together and say we have a call and we have a mission and that is to reach the world for Jesus, and we go out on that mission together, those differences become small. And we build trust with each other. 
We build a relationship that surpasses music preferences, that surpasses order of worship, and that says our Savior has died in our place so that we can bring life to dead people. That's what matters. That's what matters. So even today, as you may be carrying pain from the past, surrender it to Jesus. See that you have offended God in a way worse way than someone of another race could ever offend you. For God has made a way of reconciliation through his son, Jesus. And that in Christ, the church is one. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we continue throughout this worship service that we would be reminded of your goodness and how you have brought us near through the blood of Jesus. And it's through the blood of Jesus that we experience the forgiveness of sins. I pray, Father God, for that person today who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and who doesn't know Jesus. I pray, Father God, that you would help them to fall in love with your Son through your Holy Spirit that you would draw them to him. Help them, Father God, to have peace with you. Thank you for your son Jesus who came preaching peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. In Jesus' name, amen.